I want to take the opportunity. I, it's probably been communicated, but I really want to take the opportunity that I have the platform at the moment to say thank you, uh, not only for praying, and obviously we, we, we just appreciate your prayers, and uh, I don't know how to emphasize that enough. It always seems shallow to say thank you for praying, uh, but the number of times that the Lord has intervened on our behalf and, and blessed us or, or helped us in a situation, and then we find out that uh, someone's praying, and I just, I would, I've lost track of the number of times that's happened. So I just want to say thank you so much for praying, but I also want to say thank you for giving, and I recognize it's a sacrifice for so many to give to missions, and that money ends up in the hands of the missionaries, and, and we survive on it, and uh, <clears throat> you know, again, just it's overwhelming, and then uh, we see when special offerings come through, and we know again that you've gone beyond the sacrifice of normal giving to, to give again. And uh, to direct that to us. And so we just really want to say thank you so much. And we're glad that uh, we can be a part of your uh, extended church family overseas in that way. And, and partner together with the gospel ministry. And uh, we, we think of you guys often. We pray for you. Uh, we loved our time here and we love you. And uh, it's good to see faces again that we haven't seen for almost eight years. And uh, just... It's just a blessing to be with you again. And then, preacher, thank you for sharing your pulpit with me. Uh, I don't take that lightly either. I know that's a big deal, and so I appreciate that. And I want to I want to be a blessing and a help to you this morning. I'd ask you to take your Bible to John chapter number 21 today. <clears throat> John chapter number 21. I, uh, I preached a series in our church in Queenbean. Uh, I shouldn't say a series, I preached verse by verse through the book of the Gospel of John and literally finished that up just the week before we left the country. And we'd, I have 85 messages through the book of the Gospel of John. And I'll tell you what, it was, it was just tremendous. Not the preaching, but the study of it was fantastic. And uh, when Pastor asked if I would preach, I... I want to preach Jesus, and, um, and so the Lord is going to allow me to do that in a, in a roundabout way, but I was thinking about something, it's just a truth, and today is a very much a devotional truth, it's, not a, it's profound in that we get to be partakers of it, but it's not profound in that it's a, a deep hidden truth, but uh, the Lord willing, I'll put you in remembrance of something this morning, if you don't already know this, I hope it'll encourage your heart. John chapter number 21, and I'm going to start reading in verse number 15 because I'd like to gain the whole context. John chapter number 21 and verse number 15, so when they had dined, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? He saith unto him, yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, feed my lambs. He saith to him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, Lovest thou me? He saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my sheep. He saith unto him the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Peter was grieved because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. 
thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. That would be some news to receive, wouldn't it? Verse number 19, this spake he signifying by what death he should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, follow me. I, this is not my text, it's not where I'm going to emphasize, but uh, it was uh, to me a blessing to think about the last words recorded by John of the Lord Jesus Christ are follow me. Man, there's an impact there, and that's a great message too, but let's keep going. I want you to see something. Verse number 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Peter, seeing him, saith to Jesus, Lord, and what shall this man do? Jesus saith unto him, If I will that he tarry till I come... What is that to thee? Follow thou me. Then went this saying abroad among the brethren that the disciples should not die. Yet Jesus said unto him, said, said not unto him, he shall not die, but if I will that he tarry till I come, what is that to thee? This is the disciple which testifieth of these things and wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. There are also many other things which Jesus did, the which, if they should be written, every one, I suppose, that even the world itself could not contain the books that should be written. Amen. <coughs> Father, I pray that you would please bless, uh, please bless our time together. I recognize, God, that uh, it can be a vain and empty meeting if we go about it in a, a routine if we just simply uh, just do a duty, and we don't want to do that today. God, I pray that you would please be working in our hearts, that you would please be pushing those things out of our hearts and our minds that uh, are trying to vie for attention right now. God, I pray that you would impress upon us the, the simplicity and the profundity of the truth that we're going to look at today. God, would you, would you please help us, please meet with us, and please make us to be more like your Son. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. If you go backward one chapter in John chapter number 20, John gives us the purpose of his book, of his gospel. And he tells us in John chapter 20 and verse number 30, many other signs truly did Jesus. Now when he's speaking of the signs there, he's not just referring to the miracles. He's not just referring to... Uh, the, the raising of the dead and the feeding of the 5,000. He is he's talking about everything that he has just written in his gospel message. These were the signs, the words that he spoke, the actions that he took, as well as the miracles and all those things. He said, so many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Now, what's the purpose? And he says in verse 31, but these are written that he might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. So this is why often when we're using a book of the Bible, we give away a John and a Romans. We direct people who are 
trying to find the way of salvation, trying to find the person of salvation. We direct him to the Gospel of John because that's why John was written. And if somebody would read through that with that understanding, then they'll come to the place where they recognize that they've got to either believe on the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved or they've got to reject Him, but knowingly do that. And so we give them the Gospel of John. And it's interesting because it shows that John carefully selected by the guidance of the Holy Spirit every single thing that he wrote. If you read the theologians and the uh, the commentaries, they'll talk about the synoptic Gospels and that John is different to the synoptic Gospels. And I understand what they're saying, but it wasn't as though John was trying to scratch out his own little identity. And it wasn't as though he was trying to differ himself from the others because he just wanted to be different. But rather that, uh, as he sought the Lord and as the Holy Spirit worked in his heart, he was selecting these Stories, these words, these events, these miracles, so that if you would read that, you would say, you know, when I, when I see that, there's one conclusion I come to. Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And then in believing that, that you would say, I need Him to be my Savior, and you would be born again and become part of the family of God. And that's why He selected that. And I appreciate that the Holy Spirit, although superintending everything that was written in the Scriptures, still allowed the personality of the writers to come through what was being uh, written down. And he allowed them to have that liberty, if you like, uh, to be able to say, you know, Lord, I'd like to write this. I'd like to write about uh, the healing of the nobleman's son. Surely somebody would read that and recognize that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. And, and I'd like to write about that impotent man at the pool of Bethesda. I want to tell him about that. that was an amazing thing. What I'm saying is that God allowed the personality of John to come through as he wrote this gospel account. And John said, I want you to read it, and I want you to come to the place of believing that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and I want you to have life through his name. That's the purpose of the gospel of John. But what's more interesting to me, then, is that there's another chapter. Because normally, if you were going to write your purpose statement, you wouldn't write it before you concluded. In in the way we write, often it would be at the very beginning. But in this case, it was toward the end, but not quite at the end. And it occurred to me that chapter 21 is is something like John sort of saying this. He's saying, listen, I, I I wrote everything that I wrote so that you would believe on Jesus Christ and be saved But there's something else I want to tell you about. I want to tell you about what he did for us after the resurrection. And I want I want you to know some more about him so that, like 1 John 5.13 says, that it's not only life through his name, but that you keep believing. That you've, you've believed and gained eternal life. But let me tell you, you can keep believing the Lord. And so in chapter 21, at the beginning of that, we find that they go out and they're fishing. And and I personally don't think that they were being disobedient or rebellious to the Lord, but they're out fishing. But what we do see is human nature at work. And there they are fishing. They've caught nothing. The Lord's on the shore, but they don't recognize the Lord. And isn't that a picture of many of us in our Christian life? We get saved and we're, and we're on our way to heaven and it's glorious, but it only takes just a short time sometimes for us to lose sight that the Lord's still there and there's still a blessing to be had. And so the Lord calls out to them, children, have ye any meat? No. 
He says, cast the net on the other side. You would, when you read that, do you not think, man, for me, that would have been enough. But, you know, there's a lot that's transpired. And they've gone through the most devastating time of their life, watching the Lord be, be crucified. And leading up to that, the, the flogging and the, and, and the rejection and everything that took place. And they're absolutely devastated by that. It's been a pretty emotional time the last couple of days for them. And the Lord says, cast your net on the other side, and they do. And when they catch that draft of fishes, John immediately says, it's the Lord. And so you remember Peter, he cast his coat on, and off they go, and pretty soon all the disciples go, and they have a meal with the Lord. What's the purpose of that? That one is not so much to bring you to the place of believing on Jesus Christ for salvation, Rather, this is given so that you remember that even though you're saved, He's still watching and He's still present and He still wants you to trust Him. Keep believing. And that was really the purpose of that last miracle written. And then we get to chapter 21 and verse 15, and now the interaction starts. And Jesus never ceases to teach and instruct and grow and guide us. So he deals with Peter about feeding his lambs and feeding his sheep. But that is not the purpose that I I have here this morning. I want you to recognize something here as we we read through uh, verses 15 to to 25. There's something said here in verse 24. And this was... uh, this is a, a, a tender truth to me, and I know I'm in a very, very manly part of the world, and uh, so I hope that that won't put you off, you men, I hope, uh, but uh, I enjoy the tenderness of the Lord, okay, I, I, I guess, and I hope it's okay to say that without you running me out of town, but I enjoy the tenderness of the Lord, and I enjoy the, t- the tender things of the Lord, I like that. And in verse number 24, uh, this is written. Now, through the whole book, John never says, I'm John. But this is how we know who it is. He says, this is the disciple which testifieth of these things. And wrote these things, and we know that his testimony is true. So, he concludes his gospel, essentially, by just identifying himself very plainly. He just uh, pulls that curtain back a little bit to say, this is who's been writing it. And here he says this, he says, I, I have testified in my book. You need to think of it in this sense, it's like him being on trial. He, he went to court, he's on trial, he's giving his testimony of truth. This is what I've seen, this is what I've witnessed, and I'm making this solemn declaration. So when you're on the witness stand, that's very much what your testimony is. I'm making a solemn declaration of the truths that you know. Not adding to it, not assuming anything. This is what I know, this is what I saw, this is what I experienced. It's very similar, if you keep your finger there, to what he wrote in the first epistle of John. If you turn over to 1 John. Now, if you'll just bear with me, we're going to come to a, a simple point that I say is simple and yet profound at the same time. Okay, 1 John chapter number 1. 1 John chapter number 1, and look here at verse number 1. Very similar idea and theme here. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard. Now look at this. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it. 
and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested unto us. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you, that ye also may have fellowship with us. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now do you see the, the correlation there in 1 John 1 is what we're seeing over here in John chapter 21. As he's saying, I'm testifying what I know. And it's an interesting thing there at the end of verse number 24 because he says, and we know that, that this testimony is true. We who? It's almost, and, and all I can do, like anyone, is speculate what's happening here, but it's almost as though as John, and now that he's John the aged, this is well beyond uh, the, the events of, of what he wrote about. It's as though he's with a group of people, and as he writes that, they're saying, Amen. We know that what you've said is true. And they're testifying to that. But brethren, at the same time, it's the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit laying testimony as well to what John's testimony is and saying, we know it's true as well. It's an interesting thing there. But it's the part of the testimony then is, is that he, he declares all of these things that Jesus has done. In verse number 25, he says, uh, there are many other things which Jesus did, the which if... They should be written, everyone, I suppose. And again, you know, I read the commentators because I just sometimes like to have other perspective. It helps to shake me up, help me to think a little bit. And sometimes it, it rattles my cage and I have to go study further. But the commentators, many of them, as they look at this, they say, well, he was, he was speaking figurative, figuratively here. He, he wasn't actually, it, the books wouldn't actually fill the world. That's when I always set the commentators aside. And I say, no, I believe he meant exactly what he said here. That if everything that was written, that could be written about what the Lord Jesus Christ did, the world itself could not contain what Jesus did in his life on this earth. I believe that. I believe, you know, here we are 2,000 years later and people are still writing books about Jesus and you and I can, can pick up that book and take a truth that God showed another author and we can get a blessing from it and we say, man, I've never seen that before, but it was right there in this, in this book and who knows what else wasn't written. And in eternity we'll find out just how much Jesus did. So John took a sampling. He took a small portion of what Jesus did and he wrote that in his gospel. Now, all of that, so we could come to this point. He looks here in verse number 20. And in verse 20, John says this, Then Peter, turning back, seeth the disciple, and here's a phrase that John uses five times in this gospel, the disciple whom Jesus loved, following. And it, it struck me. It just struck me as being a truth that I, I really believe we all need to have embedded deep, deep, deep down in our hearts. That we're disciples who Jesus loves. And I, I want to talk about that. I want to I show you some meditating truths about the disciple whom Jesus loved today. But this isn't so that we can go away saying, man, John, wish I could have been John. I'm just telling you up front, I want us to go away saying we're in the same boat as John. Because you and I are disciples whom Jesus loves too. If you know the Lord Jesus Christ is your Savior today, He loves you. 
And, and as I said, that's a simple truth. And I know we, you know, from little, little, little people, we're, we're singing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. But if we're not careful, that simple truth, it will fade into a childish thought rather than being a profound truth that just overwhelms us day after day after day in our lives. And if I can do one thing today, I hope that when you leave here, you will never forget, as a child of God, born again into the family of God, Jesus Christ loves you. And let's just look at a few things here, because here's this man, John. And he identifies himself, again, in verse number 20. This is the disciple whom Jesus loved, and he's following. And he goes on and said, which also leaned on his breast at supper and said, Lord, which is he that betrayeth thee? Have you ever have you ever come to a place in your life where someone that you are friendly with or friends with you find out that it's not I don't mean the intimate kind of love but but a proper godly uh, deep love they love you not the intimate type but just you you recognize the light goes on and you recognize that person loves me Have you ever, you, you, didn't, you weren't having a quarrel with them. It wasn't as though you thought, they don't like me. But you maybe thought, we're friends, we care about one another, we look after one another, we got one another's back. But then you come to that realization, we're not just friends. They love me. They'd give their life for me. I am very slow on the uptake sometimes. And many times through my life, to my own shame, <clears throat> I've had a friend or someone that I, I care about, and I, I realize just in a moment of time something they say or something they do, and I realize, wow, they, I think they love me. Again, I'm not trying to be silly. I'm, I'm saying that the light comes on and I say, I, I wish I'd have recognized that sooner. All this time has passed, and I thought it was a casual friendship, and they care about me. Man, have you ever come to that place, and did you then think, man, I've got to reciprocate that. I I need to pour myself out toward them. I I need to speak. I need to acknowledge it, that they love me. Well, that's not John. John just figured it out. And he stayed with it. I want you to notice a few things here. There are five times that John writes about being the disciple whom Jesus loved. And I want you to think about this with me. And and again, I mean, I'm giving you the punchline right up front, right? There's no secret thing here at the end. You already know where we're going. But he loves you too. But as John writes this, here's what I see about it. It's a unique title. It's a very unique title. In the Bible, it's unique to the person. John is the only one who wrote this about himself. Matthew didn't write it in his gospel. Paul didn't write it. Peter didn't write it. John got a hold of the truth and he wrote it in his gospel. It's unique to him. But even more than that, it's unique because nobody else wrote that about John. See, it wasn't as though uh, Peter looked back and said, uh, 
and I recognize in the text here that, that he says he sees the disciple whom Jesus loved, but that's not Peter making the statement. So Peter didn't write back and say, well, John, John really was the loved disciple. You know, he was the favorite. It wasn't like that. It was just that John had this unique understanding about the Lord, and he said, he loves me. And so it's unique to John in that he writes it about himself, but it's unique because no one else says it about him as well. But it's also unique in its nature. I want you to have a contrast with me this morning. Think back to the book of Esther and the man, wicked Haman. You remember that Haman, when... When he was invited to the feast, boy, he went home, and we have a saying in Australia, he was skiting, he was boasting. Uh, And he's, boy, you know, uh, no one else got invited, I got invited. And uh, only me and the king, I must be something else. Think about when he walked into the king's room, and and the king said, you know, what what should happen to the one in whom the king delights to honor? And Haman, straight away, what does he think about? He thinks, well, who else would he want to honor but me? Think about how much he likes me. And when we look at Haman, we see a man filled with pride. By the way, I don't think the position made him prideful. I think the position revealed his pride. And so he's a prideful man, and he'd elevated himself in the kingdom through whatever means. And now he's come to the place saying, no one occupies the place that I occupy. The king favors me, and the queen favors me. I mean, how, how blessed can someone be? Look how great I am. Now that is in stark contrast to the, to the man, John. Because John is not saying, look how great I am. I am the disciple whom Jesus loved. And sorry, Peter and James and the rest of you, you guys can just talk to me what it's like to be loved by the Lord, and I'll have to fill you in on it. It's not like that with John. It's unique in its nature because John, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit of God, is is both allowed and directed five times to make the statement, it's never corrected and it's never put in a light where you would think John's an arrogant, prideful fellow. It's very unique in its nature. Now let me show you something. Go back to John chapter number 11. And here's how I I guess we verify that John's not full of pride. Are you guys okay this morning? Everybody all right? Okay. In John chapter number 11, this is a verification of how John viewed the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at John 11 and verse number 3. He recognizes the love for other people. John 11 verse number 3. Therefore his sister sent unto him, the Lord Jesus, saying, Lord, behold, he whom thou lovest is sick. John records that. Now look at verse number 5. Let's just read 4 and 5 together. When Jesus heard that, he said, The sickness, this sickness is not unto death, but for the glory of God, that the Son of God might be glorified therefore, there, excuse me, thereby. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So we, we can see straight away, again, in the heart of John, that when he t- talks about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ, he says, Hey, everybody, he loved them too. He says this about the disciples. Look at chapter number 13. John chapter number 13 and verse number 1. Now therefore the feast of the Passover. 
when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. So you understand where we're coming here. John says, hey, I'm the disciple who Jesus loved, but hey, he loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus too. And, and he also loved all those disciples there where all of the problems, everything that went on amongst them and within them, he knew it all, and he still loved them. You look over at chapter number 15, John chapter number 15. I appreciate you turning to these passages. Just We're just solidifying this truth that John recognizes the love of Jesus for other people. John chapter 15 and verse number 9. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue ye in my love. If ye keep my commandments, ye shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you, and that your joy might be full. This is my commandment, that ye love one another as I have loved you. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. What is John doing? Remember, he's writing so that people will get saved, right? That's the purpose. And he says, I want you to recognize something. We've seen some faults and failures, and we've seen some problems in these disciples. But you know what's true? Nonetheless, what's true? Jesus loves those disciples. If you just look backward at chapter 14 and verse 21, a great statement and really a verse that occupies a, a sermon all by itself, but... John chapter 14, verse 21, He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me, and he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Who's writing it? John. He wanted everyone to know if you obey the Lord, and specifically in the context referring to salvation, if you obey the Lord in the message of the gospel and your need for Christ you'll be a recipient of the love of Jesus Christ. John is not proud. He's not boasting. John is not claiming to be the only one who's loved by the Lord Jesus. And he's not claiming to be loved by Jesus more than anyone. It's a unique title. But it's also a title of recognition. And some of these, they overlap. Necessarily, they overlap these points. But it's a title of recognition, and I want you to notice first, it's humble recognition. As I've already said, the Holy Spirit allowed and led John to write this about himself. And John's not writing this in arrogance. John is writing this with humility. Try to, when we look at the five passages, when you look at that, just see John saying, And this is the disciple whom Jesus loved. There's a tenderness there. There's a humility there. When I read it, I I look at John and I think John is overwhelmed. He is overwhelmed by the love of the Savior for him. He loves other people too. He loves them just as much as me. But John had a grasp on something. He said, man... Or if I can use my home lingo, lingo, mate, mate, he loves me. What a marvel. Think there about 1 John chapter 3. Behold, 
what manner of love the Father hath bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. You know, when you, you look at that verse, what manner of love, that is, what type of love is this? What degree of love are we talking about when the Father would love us and call us the sons of God? That is beyond human comprehension outside of the Spirit of God giving us understanding. And as John, again, he writes that in 1 John, as he writes it here, he is absolutely overwhelmed by the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for him as an individual. It's a humble recognition. He is grateful that he could be loved by Christ. But it's also an honored recognition. Um, Back to the illustration of when you realize that certain people love you in your life and it maybe uh, takes you by surprise. But there are some people, when you recognize that, you think, my goodness, why in the world me? Why would they think this way of me? Uh, they know me. They know my faults. And, and still they think this way of me. I'm, I'm honored by that. Amen. And this is John again. He recognized. Now listen, please. I, I really hope I'm helping you here. He recognized that he's loved by Jesus. I'm loved by my wife, and that's special, and that's wonderful, and, it, and it, it helps me. And I don't mean anything by this. I don't mean anything negative or bad, but her love for me pales in comparison for the love that Jesus has for me. It doesn't even, they're not in the same category. John's saying, I'm not just loved, and I'm not just loved by a historical figure. I'm loved by Jesus. What a thought. If the love of people in our life can be such a powerful tool, and it is, and, and, and we, we need to express our love for one another, it is a powerful tool in our lives, a powerful help, a powerful anchor for people that are hurting, people that are confused, lost, hurt. But if the love of an individual can do that in our lives, well, then how much more the love of the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, some people that, uh, that we deal with in life, and it's people are, no matter where you go in the world, people are the same, right? There are different cultures, there's different ways of thinking, but people are the same. And I'm not saying that as somebody who's only lived in two places or only been in two places. It doesn't matter whether I've been in India, Sri Lanka, China, Australia, America. It doesn't make any difference where I go. Here's what I see. People are the same. And one of the things that I see that is common with people who don't know Christ as their Savior is that they really battle with the fact that God could love them as an individual. Now, the religion has helped this to be a problem because it's taken the personal relationship with God out of it and it's become almost a a numbers game. So much do so many things and, and act so many ways and then you might get the nod of God in the process. But that is so contrary to what the Bible teaches us about our God and our Father. 
He is so interested in each individual. He numbers our hairs. He, underst- he knows us in the womb. He's so intimately concerned about every single thing that goes on in our lives, even before we're saved. And that is the nature of our God. And so, so many people, they struggle with the fact, how could God even know who I am, let alone care about me? And that's a big hurdle for some people to overcome. And maybe even today, maybe, I don't know a lot of you, you may have come in here today, and that's exactly your thinking. How could he love me as I am? Uh, most people don't even know what I am on the inside, and, and I know, and I don't like it. How could God love that? Because the nature of God is to love, and it is not based upon what we do or don't do. Thank the Lord for that. But that truth, many of us, when we get saved, we we overcome that hurdle for salvation. But I know a lot of Christians where that's exactly where they stop. And they have been so conditioned, whether through bad teaching or unreasonable teaching or unreasonable experiences in their life, they have been conditioned to think, now God's love for me depends on how good I am or how bad I am. If I do this, God will love me more. If I don't do this, God won't love me as much as the next person. But brethren, that again is foreign to the Bible. God's love doesn't change based on what we do and don't do. And it makes it an honorable... There's an honor in recognizing that God loves me no matter what. Now, I'm not making excuses. I'm not saying that it's okay to not live for God, that it's okay to leave sin unconfessed. I'm not saying that it's okay to have loose living, worldly living, that that God's okay with that. He turns a blind eye. That's not what this is about. Our, Our fellowship with Him matters in those things. Our ability to discern the will and the mind of God matters in those things. Our relationships with other people in life, they are depending on doing right. But as for God and the the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, He's not going to be so fickle as to change His love for me because I disobeyed Him yesterday. And I don't have to spend the next day or week or month or year trying to make it up to Jesus so that He'll love me again. That's human love. That's failing love. That's a fickle love. But that is not the love of our Father. We have a Father and we have a Savior that He loves us and it is a perfect love. The Bible says, perfect love casteth out fear. Think about here, if you'd look over at Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter number 8. And in Romans chapter 8, we look here at verses 38 and 39. Now the context is slightly different here, but the truth is the same. Romans chapter 8 and verse number 38. For I am persuaded. I'm sorry, I moved a little too quickly there. I still got pages turning. Romans chapter number 8 and verse number 38. For I am persuaded that neither death nor life nor angels nor principalities nor powers nor things present nor things to come nor height nor depth nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. You know, I look at that and I think not only can, can those supernatural things and, and the things in the list, none of them can separate me from the love of God, but my foolishness on a day can't separate me from the love of God either. And i got to tell you, I'm so thankful for that. Man, 
How many times have, have we looked back at a day or an event in our life and think, oh, my word, what was I thinking? But you know, I can put my head on my pillow at night. Yes, confess our sins. He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It needs to be confessed. But I can put my head on my pillow at night and I know this, he loves me. You know, in our own human limitation, I think about my children. And I think about the times they aggravate me to no end. And I bark at them and we, we have a conflict. But when they go to bed at night, I don't love them less. Man, I might be cranky. I might have just said, you know, tonight you just get yourself to bed and that's that. But as I lay in my bed, I pray. And I know you do too. And you think, I sure do love them. I sure do love them. Now, if I can do that in my fallen nature and you can do that in your fallen nature, how about a God with no fallen nature, a perfect nature, and, and you and I mess up, we disappoint, and you think he goes, you know, I, don't, I just don't think I love him that much anymore. He says, I sure do love him. It's the perfect love of God. It cannot be improved upon. It cannot be based on condition. It flows from who he is. God is love. So when I observed John, I observed that John was honored, that he was loved by the Lord Jesus Christ. And if you put yourself in John's shoes, he's saying, I am loved by the Lamb of God. I'm loved by the Messiah. I'm loved by the very God manifest in the flesh, the Son of God. I don't know about you, but and I'm a little bit built this way. I meditate on things, and I just kind of go deeper and deeper into it. But when I meditate on that, I think, that's absolutely amazing. I don't know what else to say about it. It's awesome. John just says, remember all those things that I wrote about? The miracles, the walking on water, the calming of the seas, the raising the dead. Remember all that? Remember that guy I was telling you about? He loves me. That should put a smile on your dial. It's a treasured title. It's a unique title. It's a title of recognition. It's a treasured title. I want you to know that it's treasured because of the object of the love. John says he loves me. But John's not the only one. Kevin Byer stands here today and with... As far as I know, with no pride in my heart, I say this. Jesus Christ loves me. I am so glad that my Father in heaven tells of his love in the book he has given. Wonderful things in the Bible I see. This is the dearest. Jesus loves me. Though I may wander away, still he doth love me wherever I stray. Back to his dear loving arms would I flee when I remember that Jesus loves me. I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me. Jesus loves me.
I am so glad that Jesus loves me. Jesus loves even me. Wow. A treasured title. I'm the object of his love. I'm imperfect. I'm finite. I fail. But he loves me. It's a treasured title because of the application of it. Please don't miss this. It was all of grace. John didn't look at his life and say, well, of course Jesus loves me more than the others. Look at what I do compared to the others. I mean, clearly he's going to love me more. When John wrote about the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for him, he was saying, well, it's all grace. It's all grace. It's a treasured title because of the endurance of it. You know that it'll never fade. It's eternal. If there were a a way that we could somehow project ourselves out into the future, if there were such a thing as a million years out in the future, do you know we could go up there in a million years and the love for the Lord Jesus would be just the same as it is today? If you could go backward into eternity past, before sin even entered into the world, we could meet the Lord Jesus Christ. And you know what we could say about him? He loves me. He loves me just the same in eternity past as he does right now. Glad I'm loved by Jesus. It's a title of significance. I need to hurry. I need to finish. But I want you, if you will, to look at each of the five accounts. I want to start in John 13. I'm going to be very brief because I just really want to draw out a very simple truth again to, for you to take home. And I really believe if you'll make application of this, it'll help you. John chapter number 13. Five times John says, this is the disciple whom Jesus loved. John chapter number 13 and verse number 23. Now there was, remember they're in the upper room. Now there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. You know, this is significant. It's significant to John because this is the event where there is a lot of chaos going on up there. They're finding out about the betrayal of the Lord Jesus. They're going to have this, this time of Peter uh, almost in an argument with, with the Lord and, and the feet washing. and I mean, all of this is going on. It's kind of a, that's an interesting night in the life of the Lord Jesus Christ with those disciples. And amongst all of that, you know what, what John writes about? He said, uh, when we found out that, there's, that someone's going to betray him, you know what I could do is I could just lean my head on his breast and talk to him. That's pretty significant. You know, maybe John was thinking, I want to say here that he loves me because he allowed me to be so close to him. And then I have to draw that truth out and I have to say, you know, sometimes I need to just refer to myself, not as Kevin Byer, not as a missionary to Australia, not as whatever. I just need to refer to myself as the disciple that Jesus loves. Because he lets me get close to him. 
And I don't know where you are in your Christian life, but if you've missed the opportunity to lay your head on the breast of the Lord Jesus Christ, I can't tell you what you're missing. When everything's chaos around you, and you maybe learn something or hear something that interrupts your whole way of thinking, to just be able to lay your head down. I know I'm talking spiritually here, but just be able to lay your head down and say, Lord, thank you for letting me be close. I hope you've had that. And I hope you don't count that as being too tender to be masculine. I don't think John was was a weak man. The next one is in John chapter number 19. John chapter number 19 and verse number 26. Are we doing okay? I'm I'm five past 12. Am I okay? Is that okay? All right. John chapter 19, verse 26. When Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, he saith unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then saith he to to the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. Well, he's standing there at the foot of the cross watching his Savior die. And as he watches him die, Jesus takes that time. What an, again, what an amazing event in the life of the, of, the, of the apostle. In all of the pain and all of the agony and everything that's happening at the cross of Calvary, the rejection of mankind, Jesus stops and takes care of someone that he loves, his mother. And he gives it to someone, gives her to someone that he loves. And when John saw the significance of the Savior hanging on the cross for his sins, remember, he's now he's, he's writing back. He's many, many years have passed as he's writing his gospel. And so he's writing that as a commentary on what took place on that day. And as he comments on what the Lord was doing at that moment, he said, this is the disciple whom Jesus loved. He's hanging on the cross to die for me. And look at the character of the man who cares for others more than himself. Wow, he must love me. I just can't imagine separating my mind from the pain and the agony to do something like that. Pretty significant. John chapter 20. Verse number 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early when it was yet dark unto the sepulcher and seeth the stone taken away from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and cometh to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved and saith unto them, They have taken away the Lord out of the sepulcher and we know not where they have laid him. You know what he looks at? He Again, he's riding backward. He steps back. He comments on the event. And he said, man, you know what? Jesus Christ keeps his promises. He told us he was going to rise from the grave. We were so thick-headed we couldn't get it, even though he'd, he'd said it over and over again. We couldn't see. We just couldn't understand it and grasp it. But, man, that morning, 
That morning, God was so kind to me, and Jesus was so kind to me, that he let me be amongst those first people to come to the realization, Jesus Christ keeps his promises, and he's defeated death, hell, and the grave, and he's alive. What an incredible event in the life of John. He looked at that, and he said, man, I got to be among the first to know and to hear about it. Man, Jesus must really love me. How about John chapter 21, verse number 7? We talked about it just a moment ago, but let's look at it. I really am almost done. John 21, verse number 7. Therefore, here they are out boating. Remember the the fish event and all that? (coughs) Excuse me. Verse number 7. Therefore, that disciple whom Jesus loved saith unto Peter, It is the Lord. You know what I see there? He loved me and he showed me that he's present when I don't recognize him. And I haven't been faithful, I haven't been keeping my eyes out for the Lord Jesus, but man, when he, you know what he taught me that day? He taught me to recognize him from the work that he's doing in his life. I don't have to lay my physical eyes on him if I'll just see what he's doing in my life. Man, the Lord loves me enough to let me see, to see him in his work in my life. He must really love me. And the last one is what we read about in John 21 and verse number 20. Then Peter, turning about, seeth the disciple whom Jesus loved following. Here he is following the Lord Jesus. You know what I see there? He he loved me. I want to follow him. And he didn't give me a specific invitation. He didn't say to me, as he said to Peter, follow me. But I'm going to follow anyway. And praise the Lord, he didn't turn me away. He didn't turn him away. He didn't say, now, John, I wasn't talking to you. I didn't invite you to come follow me. I was talking to Peter. John, you go back to the fire with the others, and when I'm ready, I'll call you. John just said, well, you know what? He loves me so much. You know why John loved him? Because he was first loved, right? Isn't that true? Do you know why we even know about who John is? Because Jesus Christ loved him and chose him. He would be insignificant in history. No one would even know who John the Apostle was if Jesus hadn't put his love on him and called him to follow him in the beginning of his ministry. Now here, he speaks to Peter, and John says, you know what, he loves me so much, I love him, I'm following him. And he received me. What a significant event in the life of the the Apostle John. You know what John was? He was hot-headed. He's a son of thunder. You know what he did in his life? He said, those Samaritans didn't want to receive the Lord Jesus. I'm going to call down fire and to destroy them and burn them up. That's the kind of man John was. You know what John was? John was one of those disciples on the boat that when the water was coming in and the waves were boisterous, he was said, Lord, save us. We're in big trouble. He was a man of fear. You know what John was? John at times was unbelieving. He was just like you and me. But the prevailing thought in his life was, Jesus Christ loves me. I want to conclude with this. this. There are significant events in our life. And many times those events go unnoticed by us because we're so wrapped up in the event that we haven't seen the Lord in the event. You know, it would help us, I think, as believers, as Christians, would be that we would be a little bit more like John and stop dwelling on our failure and fault and our trouble and that we would step back and we would say, the Lord loves me. 
I'm a disciple whom Jesus loves. We go through tragedy in our life, and and some people go through more tragedy than others. There's no doubt about it. But when we go through tragedy in our life, how about just stepping back and say, this is a significant event in my life. Lord, you must really love me. You trust me. You'd send me through this. Because you're not leaving me. You must be teaching me. Sure glad you love me. It's a title of significance. Every time John wrote it, there's something pretty, either real devastating or real exciting in his life going on. May God help us to recognize that we are also disciples whom Jesus loves. Now, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, he loved you enough to die for you. God commended his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. You can't find anyone anywhere in the spiritual world or the physical world who loves you that much. And he gave his life for you because he wants you to be a son of God. And you need to be saved. Whatever your reason, whatever your excuse, whatever your doubt, whatever your fear, you need to lay that aside and you can rest in this one truth. Jesus Christ loves you. And believer, no matter where you're at in your life, Jesus Christ still loves you just the same. And you're not going to change that. Spend some time rejoicing in it. Spend some time acknowledging it. Jesus loves me. This I know, for the Bible tells me so. Father, I pray and trust that it's been a help and a blessing to your people today. I truly want to be a help. And I pray that you wouldn't let us be overcome with life, but that the love of God would overcome us. God, I pray if there's one person today that doesn't know the Lord Jesus is their Savior, would you help them to see the love that was shed out at the cross of Calvary, poured out in the blood of the Lord Jesus? Would you help them to see it, submit to it, cleave to it, embrace it, receive it? Father, would you help believers today? I do not know the heart of any individual in this room But I think being cut out of the same clay, there's a good chance that somebody just needs to recognize your love for them. And then, God, I want to say thank you for loving me. What a blessing you are. Thank you for being our Father. In Jesus' name.